Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty here to introduce this Flash episode of Tales from the Crypt that Matt and I recorded with Bitcoin Tina and Alpha Zeta uh, about this morning's inversion of the U.S. yield curve, the 10-year and the 2-year. Um, we're trading in an inverted fashion at some point earlier this morning. Uh, as of this recording, they are no longer inverted, but uh, that tends to be signs of a recession on the horizon uh, when it has happened in the past, particularly here in the U.S., so we wanted to hop on a quick call with these two gentlemen uh, who have been a f through a few market cycles and have paid attention to these metrics for, for a long time um, and, and get their views and how Bitcoin may play into a recession if, if one is on the horizon. This will be Bitcoin's first market downturn if there is one. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how markets react to that asset in particular. So if you guys enjoy, this is brought to you by the Cash App. You freaks already know. Use the code StackingSats. Go to the cat, your local app store, whether it be Google Play or the Apple App Store. Use the code StackingSats. You're going to get $5. We're going to get $5 to Owls Lacrosse, a charity very near and dear to our heart. And then on top of that, you're going to get access to the ability to stack sats via the Cash App. You can buy Bitcoin. You can sell Bitcoin. You can send Bitcoin to the Cash App. You can deposit it. Uh, from the app to a hardware wallet if you like and on top of that they have the incredible boost program I uh, used it this morning to buy coffee at blue bottle again. I'm sorry. It's very high in time preference I was in a rush. Don't worry I'm working on getting a coffee machine before when I do need to go to the local coffee shop to get some Coffee I make sure I put on that coffee boost and save that dollar While I'm being high time preference. So again stacking sats one word you're gonna get five dollars $5 is going to go to Al's Lacrosse. Go to your local app store and download the Cash App today. Hope you enjoy. Picker. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty back here on a special edition of Tales from the Crypt. This is the Rabbit Hole Recap. Um, the market's gone pretty crazy this week, specifically the yield curves across the world. And uh, today, earlier in the United States, uh, the 10-year yield curve and the two-year curve inverted. Um, so the 10-year uh, was below the two-year at one point, early trading hours. So Matt and I have been joined by a couple of, uh, of gentlemen who have been through a few market cycles and we wanted to sit down with them and sort of get their their opinions on where we are in this current macro landscape, how it compares to market structures they've seen in the past, and how Bitcoin may come into play this time around. Um, so I'd like to introduce you freaks to Bitcoin Tina, who's been on the podcast before, and to Alpha Zeta, who's making his first appearance. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, we're recording remotely, and uh, we can't really gesture to who's up next so we'll uh we'll call on you guys individually uh throughout this but um yeah thanks again for joining pumped to talk bitcoin tina uh this is the first time we're recording since our third episode in january how are you feeling i'm feeling good thank you marty thank you matt and uh thank you alpha zeta i wanted to make some comments because you know i've been hearing people talk about things and it kind of feels like January felt like a good time to talk, which is why uh, I was glad we had a chance to talk in January. And now it feels like it's a good time to talk. And uh, I'll be honest, I've gotten a lot of requests from people to do some pods, which I've been reluctant to do because 
I tweet a lot and I talk too much, so I don't need to talk that much. You can follow my tweets. I think tweeting is like a job for me. But watching what's been going on, I've been watching the 210 uh, spread. The 210 is the Treasury yield spread. I've been watching the Treasury, the U.S. Treasury yield curve for quite a while now. And historically, the yield curve tends to invert pre-recessions, uh, pre-downturns. What typically occurs is the Federal Reserve hikes and it creates a, a slowdown, which causes the yield curve to invert. Banks are supposed to pull back on their lending, get more conservative, which they didn't do in 2008 and 9. They actually uh, increased their lending and, and, and lent to bad credits to keep a positively sloped yield curve, which caused everything to just, it went like it went until you went over a cliff. What happens now is not clear to me, but finally the twos and tens have been reluctant to invert. They inverted, now they're, they're popped. So we're positive right now on the 210 spread to the tune of about four basis points. And I would not be surprised to see this bounce just a little bit here because markets, markets tend to uh, surprise people and don't do exactly what you think they're going to do. We've been waiting for this to happen. So just so catch people up to speed on this, if they don't know what I'm talking about. So you've got a yield curve, which goes from Fed funds out to the 30 year. And then there are different maturities along the way. The two year is of course the two year, the 10 year is the 10 year. And currently the yields on each of those on the two year is uh, approximately 1.581%. The 10 year is approximately 1.584%. So you take the 10, you subtract the two, and that gives you the spread. So right now the spread is approximately 3.3 basis points. A negative yield curve is two things. One, it tends to be a signal to markets telling you what's going on. As market participants buy or sell market instruments, and, and we can always determine information from markets based on, you know, the markets are important signaling mechanisms. One of the things that happened post 2008 and 9 is the Federal Reserve inserted itself into many different markets, dampening the signal effect that occurs with markets. As we know, pricing is really critical for determining what happens uh, for market participants. Consumers and producers respond to market prices, which send signaling throughout the economy so that players know what to do. I mean, this is simple economics. The core to the capitalist system is the interest rate structure and the interest rate markets uh, across the world. Some of the most important markets are the US Treasury market. And the Treasury market, as I said, is a yield curve. A normal shape of the curve, if there is such a thing as normal, is positively sloped. So rates tend to be lower at the front end. Think of front end as Fed funds, one month, two month, three month, and so on. Think of the long end as 10 year, 30 year. Currently the 10 year is considered the most important long rated instrument it used to be the 30 year but i don't know what's happened i can't remember Al alpazeta you remember what are they issuing 30 years still or they stopped issuing those I, I don't remember where that is right now i don't think they're issuing it anymore yeah uh, i just don't think your point, one important point there uh searching for just to add something is uh, that people talk about interest rates and they usually 
this is the time frame, right? Because interest rates, you have overnight uh, interest rates and you have one year, 10 year, and so on, right? So you have an interest rate curve. And the Fed, when we talk about Fed fund rates, right, we're talking about short-term rates. We're talking about overnight rates, right? And that's where they have the most control uh, of the curve. They can control other parts of the curve through other instruments. It's a little bit more complicated, but when people are talking about interest rates and Fed fund rates, you're talking about pretty much overnight rates, just to, to simplify it. That's right. However, what we have to remember is that quantitative easing in its various forms influenced the longer end of the curve. That was the whole purpose of quantitative easing to influence Absolutely. the longer end of the curve. So the Federal Reserve acted to purchase uh, treasuries, the, they purchased mortgage instruments, uh, and they got involved in doing all sorts of things all across the curve. So whereas historically the Fed primarily operated at the front end of the curve, i.e. Fed funds, they got involved in many aspects of the curve, although historically there were times uh, that they had operated, I remember years ago, something called Operation Twist, which I think is before I was born, but I'm not sure. Um, but the Fed has been intervening across the curve and post the great financial uh, crisis, GFC, in 2008-9, they intervened in all kinds of credit markets um, in an attempt to get the economy restarted. And uh, the net effect of that is to dampen the signal. So what we're seeing now is we're seeing an inversion, or we did, we're not seeing it as we speak at this moment. It's slightly positive to the tune of about three basis points. Um, seeing an inversion of the 210 spread. The 210 has been the most reluctant to invert. I think Fed funds is approximately uh, two and a quarter percent right now, and you're inverted out to the 30-year versus Fed funds, which means, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many, although not all people, that the Federal Reserve needs to cut and cut pretty dramatically, pretty quickly. Um, I think that what we saw, I forget how long we were inverted for in 2006 and seven, but we're inverted for a pretty long time, and that caused a pretty sizable problem in 2008 and nine. Um, there's an enormous amount of debt in the system. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of good answers to this. But the, the reason I like Bitcoin as much as I do is that I, my guess is that the Fed is going to do, as they like to say, whatever it takes, which includes the other global central banks. So you're talking about the BOE, the SNB, the BOJ, the ECB, one more who I can't think of, there are like five or six of them. And they're gonna pretty much do everything, which means ultimately the Japanese are buying stock ETFs, the Swiss are buying stocks. They're gonna do pretty much everything, which ultimately benefits uh, Bitcoin as well. And because you're going to have ultimately some deterioration of uh, what we like to call money in the system with all of this quote unquote printing, which it really isn't, but that's what we call it. And um, regardless if they drag their feet, although we're already starting to see some action, although I don't remember exactly what's been done so far, um, if we do hit a wall and crack, then uh, you're kind of not gonna wanna have money in places that you have money. And it'll be really nice to have physical Bitcoin, which means private keys that you control. Um, it won't be pretty, but you'll be a lot happier than lots of other people or physical gold, which you have control of. Uh, but that's pretty hard to transact with. So that's kind of uh, my, my broad stroke take at this point.
that regardless, you want to own Bitcoin. And people who are selling it here, I think uh, they didn't get the memo that Bitcoin to me is neither risk on nor risk off asset, but actually what I like to call an emerging economic paradigm. And that's where I think a lot of people get this wrong. You have a lot of traders who don't really understand what Bitcoin is. There are a lot of newcomers to the system, uh, macro players who uh, we've heard a lot from lately, who I'm not sure fully really understand what Bitcoin is. It's not clear to me whether or not they um, control their own private keys or they store their private keys with some kind of institution. I heard a commentator on CNBC the other day comment that he didn't think Bitcoin was in a bull market here because there aren't a lot of new addresses uh, being seen. But the problem with that is if you're new to Bitcoin and you're not storing your own private keys and instead you're storing them at Coinbase or wherever, then there aren't going to be a lot of new addresses. There'll be a lot of new money in Bitcoin, but it's not going to be a lot of new addresses. So that metric of trying to judge new addresses as a viable metric for whether or not you're in a bull market is kind of a meaningless metric. And I thought it was kind of a meaningless take on the part of the CNBC commentator. None of these guys are storing their own keys. There's no way whatsoever. None of these big macro guys. You don't think Kevin O'Leary has a has his Bitcoin on a Trezor? Kevin O'Leary owns no Bitcoin, and that makes me happy. Hmm. Makes me happy. Most, too. Of the, most of the managers I know have their you know their Bitcoin in Coinbase or, or whatever it is. They have no ideas of how to, how to buy their, their hardware wallet or anything like that yet. So, well. Just just to add uh, something to to the curve inversion, right? People have to remember also that the the fixed income market it's it's mostly an institutional market, right? While when we talk about equity markets, equity markets are mostly a retail market, right? So whenever you have a, a very strong signal from from the fixed income market, the Fed and all the other players tend to listen, right? And and most of the times when you see divergence between active markets, fixed income markets, you, everybody will usually try to believe that, uh, will believe that the fixed income markets are one that probably right, right? And the signal that the fixed income market is sending out to the market is it's very bad, right? We, we haven't seen rate, long-term rates going down this quickly and the curve inverting like this fast as, as we, we are seeing right now. And the Fed is listening to that. So if the Fed is gonna act before the meeting, I think nobody knows at this point. I think that they're discussing this every single day. They're trying to decide what to do. They probably don't know. If you if you uh, read the books, you know about the financial crisis in 2007, you see that the decisions that these guys made, they are completely random, completely arbitrary, and it depends on who is in the meeting. It's a bunch of three, four guys in a meeting, right? They're going to make a decision. Uh, so it's impossible to trade that. But the signal that we are getting from the market right now, it's very bad and very negative for you know, financial instruments across the globe. Yeah, Al? Alvazeta, we were talking about this before we hit record, and you were saying uh, you were a market participant for for uh, a big player in the banking world in 07, 08, and you were doing a lot of research about how, how hard it was to get into gold. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so, so let me actually step back and I'll, I'll tell you what happened in 2007, because it was actually, I think, there are a lot of parallels with what we are seeing right now. So 
2006, everybody talked about the housing bubble, right? It's not that the housing bubble occurred very quickly and, you know, caught everybody off guard. And then we, we didn't know that the balance sheets of the banks were in trouble, right? Everybody knew about this since the beginning of 2006. And even before that, everybody talked about that. Timing was completely uncertain, right? So start, end of 2006, beginning of 2007, um, you know, as part of what I, I did in, in the bank that I worked off, we, we talked to a lot of institutional clients, large family offices mainly, and they were looking for options to, to hedge portfolios because everybody was very worried, very similar to what we're seeing right now. So we did some research looking at different asset classes, looking at different ways to hedge portfolios. And we're talking about uh, investors that had private equity and public equity, right? So we, we had to find something that in an event of distress would protect the por both portfolios uh, at the same time. Very hard to do. So we researched different things. We looked at, uh, I think the, the first one that people throw around, so oh, I would just buy puts on the S&P, right? I'll buy options to sell the S&P if it drops, you know, I have the options, I can exercise them and I'll make money if the market goes down, which works really well, uh, but there's a huge problem, which is you have to pay for that, you have to pay premium, uh, then you have to buy options. These, some of the clients who were doing this, they were buying one month options and rolling, so they will do that for three months and then they look at the cost and well, I'm paying for all of these insurance that I'm not using, it's really expensive, I don't wanna do this, right? And there's a problem with put options, which is, you know, whenever the market starts to go down, volatility goes up, and then the price of insurance also goes up. So it's if you do this systematically, it's actually a very poor way to, to hedge your portfolio. You actually end up losing a lot of money in the long term. So we scratch that out of uh, out of the way right away. We look at different uh, different alternatives. We actually looked into selling volatility as an alternative, which is something that works well, but uh, you know it has also some some flaws. And then we look into other asset classes. Right. Uh, we looked at oil. Uh, we looked at correlations of oil, between oil and different markets in periods of distress. As people, you know, I think people confuse correlation a lot when they talk about correlation. Oh, Bitcoin is negatively correlated to X, Y, Z. And most of the times, Bitcoin is not negatively correlated. It just doesn't have correlation, which is actually, uh, you know, in, in most of the times, actually even better. Right. Um, so we couldn't find, uh, and the other thing with correlation is that you have to look at correlation on the upside and correlation versus correlation on the downside. Uh, you don't care so much about correlation on the upside because if your asset is going up, you, you don't need protection, right? What you really need to worry about is correlation on, on the downside. So when your asset goes down, what can you find that actually has zero or negative correlation to, to your portfolio. Uh, and oil didn't satisfy that, you know, there was actually uh, lack of correlation, some actually some positive correlation, which is what you don't want in periods of distress. Um, and, you know, one of the interesting things that we saw, and we actually, this happened after the crisis, that there was a, cor a, a correlate, which is something you wouldn't expect, but the liquid assets on the downside they tended to have a very high correlation to, you know, equity markets. Why? Because equity markets go down very fast. You need money. You're going to sell what's liquid first, right? And I think the, the, the good example is to look at what happened uh, with MLPs in the U.S. Uh, right after the collapse of Lehman, right? Fundamentally, nothing changed with the MLPs, uh, but they were liquid uh, and people needed to raise collateral to, to, to pay for the margin 
proposed, they sell what's liquid for, first, MLPs went down, correlation went down. So, uh, so then gold, we looked at gold as a, another asset, and it actually, if you just look at the numbers, it performed fairly well as a portfolio protection. Uh, but then when we started talking to some of, of the investors, then they started raising questions like, okay, so I get it that, you know, gold is probably a good asset, but what is the investment vehicle? What do I do? And initially, we went, oh, you just do a swap with us. And like, yeah, but if your bank goes bankrupt, you guys are not going to pay me the swap. It doesn't matter, right? So I want to own physical gold. So we looked at, uh, we looked actually at ETFs also, but uh, they couldn't get around, you know, some of these investors just couldn't get around. In fact, if, if there was a distress, if the ETFs actually held the gold. Uh, so they, they wanted something that actually gave physical delivery, but then you start going into all these questions, like where I'm going to take the gold, uh, how I'm going to insure it, how do I make sure that, the, you know, the gold that they say it's in the vault, it's actually my gold. And if it is my gold, if it's only my gold, then, you know, they're not sharing that gold with other people. So as you start to have all of these uh, discussions, we abandoned that as well. So, okay, gold is probably going to be extremely complicated to, to use as a hedge. So what we found out uh, at the end, which is ultimately something that, you know, is in the big short, that's pretty much what John, John Paulson did and uh, other guys did as well, just buying protection on credit default swaps, right? So how does that work? Think about the capital structure of a company, right? So a company, when a company starts going, you know, down and going bankrupt, the first thing that gets eaten uh, on the balance sheet is the equity piece, right? So the equity piece goes to zero very quickly, but then eventually, uh, the rest of the company or, you know, the debt part of the company also starts uh, suffering. So when you talk about buying protection on debt on companies, which is basically what you're doing with CDS protection, um, you're buying kind of like really, really out of the money protection uh, in companies. So there's this thing called the investment grade CDS index, which is, think about it as being a basket of different investment grade companies, right? And you buy protection or you sell protection in this basket. Um, so it's very simple to do, very liquid instrument. And it's kind of like the old, at that point at least, was the ultimate uh, protection because it was really cheap. At the time that we started looking at this, it was trading at like, you paid something like 22 basis points or 0.22% per year to protect a portfolio. And if it's really, things really got bad as they did, right, you had potential to make 10x, 20x, even more uh, if, if you're right. So ultimately, that's what we did to, to some investors. Uh, but the interesting thing is that we two things, right? We, we went through this exercise of looking at different asset classes. Uh, of course, we, you know, Bitcoin didn't exist at the time. Uh, and then fast forward to 2015, which was when the first time uh, I heard about Bitcoin, I looked at it and immediately it clicked me like, okay, this is the asset that we're looking for. This actually has, you know, potential to have no correlation to everything else. And I think more important is I think the first form uh, of really strong money that in, in limited supply that we, 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 see, we see in the world, right? I, I grew up in a country where you know, growing up, we experienced massive inflation. Um, so I know what, you know, very loose monetary policy can, can do to a country and to a currency. Um, so when I, I saw Bitcoin, I immediately, you know, identified with it as something that I, I could use as a, a long-term store of value for, for assets.
Fascinating. And so this time around, like, as the, the yield curve's inverting right now, and they inverted this morning, obviously it's not inverted right now, but inverted this morning, like this time around, are there similar assets outside of Bitcoin that would that would be a safe haven that uh, those puts on CDSs where uh, like the big short traders were making in 2007, 2008? Is there uh, a trade on Wall Street, do you think, similar to that this time around? Or do you think Bitcoin is one of the few lifeboats out there outside of gold? I think CDS is always a good, uh, good protection in event of distress. Uh, I haven't looked recently where it's priced, but uh, you know that after 2007, 2008, you actually look at the charts of investment grade CDS, and you had a massive dislocation, and spreads took a long time to come back to where they were before. So I would doubt if they are still as cheap as they were at that point. There's another thing. I mean, they worked really well because it was kind of unexpected. Now it's not as unexpected. So I don't know how well it would perform in a, in a period of distress again. Uh, you know, I, everything that I look, Bitcoin is by far the best asset right now to protect it against something. And the other thing is that I think the problem we had in 2007 was more contained in the sense that it was US only, housing market only. It was much easier to address, right? I think. And I'm not trying to, to make it small, but it wasn't, right? Uh, you know, we almost saw the collapse of, uh, of the financial system. Uh, but now we're experiencing something that I think it's much wider. We are talking about, uh, you know, excess liquidity in the market globally, right? By different central banks. Um, as soon as people realize, you know, if what's happening and, you know, how losing monetary policy is going to impact uh, you know, their, their pockets at the end of the day and you know, their purchase, purchasing value, uh, the, the rush to the exits could be, you know, much worse than what we've seen before. And I think the first thing we start seeing, which is we already seeing is, you know, people tend to fly to the higher quality fiat, right? And they're flying already to the U.S., right? Uh, this morning you see NBC, you know, somebody was asked, like, I don't understand because with everything that's going, the dollar is getting stronger. Yes, and you know it's, it's all relative, right? Currencies are all relative. So the dollar, in comparison to other currencies, you know, it's still in a in a better situation. But that's going to change, and there's not going to be an alternative. We're not going to go to yens. We're not going to go to you know to British pounds or whatever. There, there's you know there's nowhere to to run in this scenario other than a new currency that doesn't have the flaws that you know the other currencies that. That we know have. So, hey Marty, in in, two, in two thousand six or seven, I don't remember exactly. You had a lot of debt markets breaking, and so I didn't completely catch what uh, Albazeta was saying about the MLPs. But here's what you have to understand about that period. So there was something called there were these preferred securities which rolled like every week, I think. And I think those preferred securities provided leverage for uh, uh, closed-end muni funds. I can't remember exactly what these preferred these money, cash, mar yeah. money market funds, right? So they, they broke the so these, parity. Yeah. These, these, these broke. You had a lot of debt markets which were breaking. And it was broader than just the housing market, because of the leverage in the system and the structure, the euro dollar market broke. I think the euro dollar market broke 
in either August of 2007 or August of 2008. I don't remember. A guy named Jeff Snyder from Alhambra writes a lot about this, and he's very smart on it, and he understands it very well. But here's what's important to think about and understand. So you had all of these markets that were breaking, um, which, which, which added to the symptomatic contagion. Now, I don't really know where we are now. I don't, my guess is that it's different in so many ways from 2007. I, I don't expect that. I see in broad strokes, you know, you had the TMT, Tech Media Telecom bubble in the late late 90s, early 2000s, that market broke. Then you went, then you had a housing credit market bubble, which spread out and affected other, other debt markets. Uh, and they all broke. Now, the way I see it in broad strokes, and, and I could be wrong, this might not be the right analysis. So let me give you that caveat. Um, now the symptom is in the global sovereign debt market. Global sovereign debt, I think I might have mentioned this to you in the original pod that we did. Sovereign debt is treated as a riskless asset on bank balance sheets. From what I understand, and maybe Alpha Zeta can correct me on this, but from what I understand, as a riskless asset, the haircut requirements on this stuff is extraordinarily low, if not zero. So you have a lot of debt sitting on financial institutions all around the world that is not heavily reserved for, maybe not reserved for at all, because it's, it's treated as sovereign debt. Now, I don't know if all sovereign debt is treated as equal. So that's why I say I'm really getting on a limb because there's a lot I don't know here. Um, and so, yes, you had the MLP market break, but here's a critical factor that you have to remember. Bitcoin's not a company. Bitcoin doesn't have debt. Bitcoin doesn't fit this model of risk on risk off. Um, so when people like to say, oh, well, Bitcoin's a risk off asset. Well, I see that as an attack vector. Calling Bitcoin a risk off asset to me is an attack vector. It means that, well, if stocks are going up, we should sell the hell out of Bitcoin. Well, no, that's not right. Bitcoin is core to an emerging economic paradigm. Bitcoin is an exponential, Bitcoin and its ecosystem. So Bitcoin, lightning, associated technologies, are exponential technologies. And so you have something which is very different from anything in the legacy markets and cannot be judged by or compared to in the sense that it's entirely different. It's an emerging paradigm which is developing. And so it doesn't have the risk of a, Bitcoin doesn't go bankrupt. Bitcoin doesn't have debt. So it, it, it's, it's risk it's completely different. We're subject to the risk of other players who hold it on their balance sheets and are watching assets go down who may want to sell those assets because um, they're getting killed in, in another asset and their, and their accounts are going down and they're getting hit by margin calls. But Bitcoin is independent of that. So liquidity comes into a system, Bitcoin can explode higher. And in fact, that's what I would expect. I expect at some point, that people who are playing around trading Bitcoin are going to wind up without a position because they are going to wind up with these giant green candles. And this thing is gonna get ugly for somebody who is either short or unexposed. Now, Marty, what do I call that? You're gonna get your NAS ripped off. Yeah, there you go. So right. let me interject here. Uh, do you think the market is wise enough not to sell off Bitcoin? You think? hands are strong enough, if you will, to uh, like, that's uh, one 
theory that's been floating around a lot, especially um, if we go into a deep recession or something like that. A lot of people are saying Bitcoin's going to be one of the first assets to go. Uh, do you think maybe, I don't dare I say, this time is different? I mean, not even this time is different. This is the first time Bitcoin will be entering uh, like into reception. Bitcoin was born out of the depths of the last recession. So as we make Bitcoin's first down market downturn here, do you think there's going to be a lot of strong hands out there? Yeah, yeah, I think there are strong hands. I think that you have a core of hardcore hodlers who have a view on this. I think you have people in this who really have no clue what they're involved with. I can't make a prediction because I don't know. Prepare for rough seas. Uh, I don't know. One guy who I was talking to who owns some Bitcoin, he's you know in my age range, uh, he said to me, look, I have a greater exposure to the legacy economy and the legacy markets. He's got pretty substantial exposure to that. He says, I'm not selling my Bitcoin, but that's an unanswerable question. I think when the tide goes out, you know, as the tsunami is coming in, that water just pulls out. It's going to pull everything with it before it comes raging back. And um, I think that what I will be very surprised if the global central banks do not get extraordinarily aggressive. I think they've backed themselves into a corner over many, many, many years. I don't think really have much of a choice. Are they going to just let the global economy crash? They're going to watch the stock market go down 60, 70, 80%. I don't think we can handle that. You already have yellow vest movements in, in, in Europe. You want to see the yellow vest movements here in the States? You already have riots in Hong Kong. You want to see riots in New York? I mean, what do you want to actually see? So sure, can the Fed do something? It's going to be really ugly if the Fed decides they're going to get religion. See, ah, we'll see what happens here. Great. Watch what happens when they uh, decide to protest in Washington, D.C. It's not going to look too pretty. So, no, I don't think they're really going to let that happen because they don't work that way. So I think you're going to see a lot of liquidity. I think you may see UBI. I mean, it depends. You're going to see a lot of very aggressive things. If, if this economy rolls over into something pretty ugly, which it could, they're playing very dangerous games. You got guys who are playing chicken, and it's not really smart. We're you know we're we're aiming for a cliff here, and it's going to be really ugly. There's a lot of debt in the system, you know, as much debt as they claim is cleaned up. I think the average person is scared. I think the average person hasn't done that well in the last ten years. I think the average person um, worries about their job. I think the average person is concerned. I think you've got a lot of people who got fat and rich and happy from the stock market and from real estate, well, that can evaporate very quickly. And then you're going to have a lot of really unhappy people. I don't happen to believe they're going to go that route. I think they're going to cut. I think we'll be at 0% rates. I think we'll be at negative rates. I don't know how long it takes. I agree with Max Kaiser. You're going to see negative rates. You're going to see negative rates everywhere. I think the central banks are wildly uh, irresponsible. But that's what it is. And, you know, I own Bitcoin. I would suggest to anybody, you ought to own some Bitcoin. You know, the advice Satoshi gave you, you know, good if you own some. I think that if you have a position, if you're a rich guy today, you have $20 million and you're sitting in bonds, I put one or 2% of my money into Bitcoin. It's going to save your backside. Um, I am an extraordinary Bitcoin bull. And I think we're going to see very high numbers. And I think there are a lot of really, really stupid people doing some really, really stupid things, trying to time this market. And I'm really pretty opposed to that. But hey, they're going to get caught without Bitcoin because if I'm right and you see some giant green candles, well, 
You know, I've seen many traders. I don't think anybody can trade this market. It's impossible to trade this market. So, and we were talking about this earlier. Bitcoin has, you know, Bitcoin price action has this thing that you always feel bad because it moves quickly up, right? So it, you establish this mental frame that, you know, okay, now 12,000 is my new is my new level, right? And it drops from 12,000 to 10,000. And you forget that in January, if I told you that we were gonna be at 10,000 right now, Nobody would have believed it, right? Uh, and the other thing, and I actually you know, wrote a, uh, a script to look at this. If you look back and if you take out you know, these quick bursts up in price um, of your returns, you end up with nothing, right? So look back from 2014, for example, until today, right? So um, the last five years roughly there. And you look at, uh, you take out the best 10 three-day blocks. So you get, you know, the three days, the, the, the best 10 movements of three days. Like, for example, uh, December 2007, we had three days where Bitcoin went from 11,000 to 17,000. So that's a 45% return, right? Uh, and you take out these blocks, uh, which is roughly, you're talking about less than 2% of the time, right? Uh, but you end up with 50% of the returns because it took out, you know, just these very large moves that happened very quickly, right? And because they happened very quickly, as I said, you kind of establish that model in your mind that, okay, this is the new, the new price, right? And then most of the time you're suffering because it's either flat or going down. Uh, and people tend to get out of their positions and you know, and then again, that kind of feeds, feeds the animal again, because the next time such a blog, I'm like, oh my God, I sold it at, you know, at 10,000, I should have sold it. And it's a very, very hard market to trade. And I don't think anybody, you know, I, I doubt that you know, on average people are making money uh, trading. People are losing money, or they are by definition, right? Because the exchanges are making a lot of money and Arthur Hayes and BitMEX are making, you know, killing with liquidations. Uh, but it, it's worse than I think any other market that, that we've seen. Stay humble, stack sets. Exactly. <laughs> so I, this has been a great, I've got, I think we're going like 35, 40 minutes so far. Um, let's like break out of the U.S. market in particular, because I feel like there's been like a U.S. heavy conversation up to this point. And, that, and that's another thing about this time around. Yes, we did have a global financial crisis post 2007, post 2008. But now uh, it feels like everybody's getting dragged into the mix that like we have What's going on in Hong Kong? Like, it seems like the Hong Kong dollar is losing its uh, its peg against the U.S. dollar. It's it's trading at the high end of that uh, range that Hong Kong is designated that they need to peg the Hong Kong dollar at, which I believe is like seven point eight five. I believe it was trading towards like seven point eight six earlier this morning on the upper brown there. Uh, and then on top of that, we obviously have the trade war with China, and the yuan's been a little finicky. Lately, you have Trump designating China as a currency manipulator, and then you go beyond there. We had uh, uh, basically a 25% plus uh, uh, plummet of the Argentinian, or excuse me, the Argentine peso against the dollar out of the blue earlier this week, and then you couple that with things um, like in Europe, Europe's banking system seems to be on the ropes. Uh, Deutsche Bank's nearing all-time lows. You have the whole German yield curve trading negatively right now, I believe. Um, so it seems to be like these 
problems are not only bubbling up in the U.S. yield curve, but also in Europe and even the East, which I don't know. I've only been around for one major market downturn, but it seems like this is the most interconnected it's ever been and the most fickle it's ever been up to this point. Anybody can hop in. Yeah, I said exactly that. I think that, you know, the, the, what's different this time is that this is going to be something that we haven't seen before because it's global. Uh, and it affects different countries in different ways. And there's, I think, only one more obvious place to, to run to, which is going to be Bitcoin. I think we have stresses that exist globally in the system. And I think we see symptoms of it like and I can't pronounce the French, the, the, the yellow vest movement. We see stresses happening. You've got Brexit, you've got Hong Kong, you've got, uh, you, you've got things going on in lots of places. I don't really feel particularly competent to make many intelligent comments with this regard. Um, but everywhere I look, I find that I'm comfortable holding Bitcoin. I mean, I, 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 Bitcoin is an asset that I'm really comfortable holding. Um, the better you understand Bitcoin, the more comfortable you get with it. And I think what you're going to have happen in the course of the next several years is more and more people are going to gradually come to understanding. There is a large group of people who really understand this pretty well. You've got this pod and, and this pod is a form of education. And as more and more people come to understand that, they're going to start to own some. You know, one of the things that I wanted to comment on, and this is this is really unique. I, I, I tweeted about this, and, and it's not it's not a big tweet I had, but it's a it's a, something that I observed. <clears throat> I remember years ago when Microsoft and Intel were producing the software and hardware that was used primarily for most things. They referred to that as Wintel, Windows and, and Intel, and. Um, so whenever a software company wrote software which used that platform of Wintel, it benefited Microsoft and Intel. Well, the interesting thing about Bitcoin and its ecosystem is anytime somebody builds something in Bitcoin, you as a Bitcoin holder benefit from that. So if you're building a project which is using Bitcoin, that benefits you and it benefits Bitcoin. Uh, the protocol developers are building in Bitcoin. The Lightning protocol developers are building in Bitcoin. Anybody who builds whatever project they're building in that is building in Bitcoin benefits Bitcoin. That's very special. And I don't know that there's anything currently in the legacy system that is like that. And I think you're going to see like a giant snowball growing as more and more people continue to build in Bitcoin, in its ecosystem. This benefits holders of Bitcoin. It attracts more people. When you solve problems, Abra is solving problems, using Bitcoin as collateral for being able to buy stocks globally. Bitcoin holders benefit from people having to buy Bitcoin to get the collateral, to get the synthetic position that they hold in the Abra app. I, as a holder of Bitcoin, you as holders of Bitcoin, benefit as people buy Bitcoin to use that Abra app. This is very special and this is a very big deal. And as more and more people come to understand this, the value of Bitcoin is going to explode to levels that people can't imagine because I can't see anything else that's like this anywhere. And what you're going to see is this snowball gets larger and larger and larger. And as it acquires more mass, it's like a giant black hole sucking in all the value of the world. It's going to get pretty damn big. 
<laughs> well, I would I would tend to agree there, and I think uh, an important uh, sort of piggyback on that comment there is uh, there was some some uh, economic journalists and economic bloggers uh, earlier on Twitter today, in particular, uh, saying that the legacy fintech system has uh, has made all this has made a lot of improvements on on sort of payments and settlement and stuff like that but uh and i've been saying this on this podcast for a while the le- like what is quote unquote fintech is just ui and ux uh improvements on top of the fintech that has already exist bitcoin is a true new financial technology and like you said tina uh it allows anybody to build on it and it's the first fintech it's the first financial technology that has the the token attached to it that like you said creates this feedback loop of if you're contributing to it if you're helping build it out making it more useful we, we all have equity in, the, in this ecosystem right it's uh, it's kind of like diluted equity we all have equity I, you know another example i i wrote a portfolio tracking tool for my own personal use and you know then i thought well why not just open source this to everybody else? I would never do this, you know, if it was working for a company or a corporation somewhere, but the interests here are aligned. I want to put this out there so that people have a better way to track their portfolios. They can see, you know, the benefit of adding Bitcoin to portfolio. Uh, they, they can track it better. Uh, and again, that's going to make Bitcoin <laughs> go do well. And that's going to, you know, I'm going to do well because I have a Bitcoin position and, you know, nobody's paying, just like you guys. You guys are here, you know, the podcast, educating everybody, right? Your interests are aligned because you have equity on this, right? So we're all equity holders on this huge thing globally that is Bitcoin. So, I mean, I have three things I'd, I'd like to add here. Um, the first thing is I think, we, I think we all agree that Bitcoin's designed to pump forever. Uh, the second thing I'd like to say is Alpha Zeta. That is a really dope... Uh, portfolio tracker you built. Uh, so we will definitely link it in the podcast notes. And then the third thing I'd like to say is this is all very confusing. Um, it's part of the reason that I love Bitcoin is the simplicity of Bitcoin. You know, it's like all this nonsense, you can just kind of forget about it. Sats are my safe haven. I can just stack sats and not worry about it. But I think the listeners kind of want some like actionable, like like what to do in this type of situation. So my question to you would be, to both of you, uh, would be, do you think like the S&P is going to hit all-time highs again this year? Because like a lot of people are saying, um, a lot of the macro guys we follow on Twitter and stuff like that are saying like, this is the big one. It's about to happen. And like, I feel like I've been thinking that for like the last five years and we just keep hitting new all-time highs. So like, is it, like, are we imminently about to crash or is this just precursor you know like we have a lot of more room to pump in global markets nobody knows that's the answer this could happen tomorrow this could take another three years nobody knows and if somebody tells you that they know they're lying there's absolutely no way to know when the stock markets and are, are going to correct uh i think they're going to correct and i'm pretty sure they will correct but uh you know i've been wrong this whole year because from the beginning of the year i've been very bearish on the on the stock market right and I don't care also at the end of the day. And I think we're also missing one thing. Even if none of these things were happening globally, even, you know, if the economies around the globe were doing really well, you know, we didn't have this problem with central banks yet, Bitcoin would still be a great thing long term, right? So I think all of these things just kind of 
add fire to, to the fuel and it may accelerate uh, adoption, but it doesn't matter long term. Long term, you know, we're in front of something that I think has the potential to be the, the global money, and we've never seen this before. Okay, I, I have a point of view. I'm, I know that surprises you that I have a point of view, but I do have a point of view. And it's an out of consensus view. And I differ from most people in this regard. And I told Marty in January, if I recall correctly, and I stand by what I said in January, pretty much what I think I said, and this is what I think. So if I didn't say it, I'm saying it now. I think the stock market will essentially be flat plus or minus five or 10% for the next decade. I think we'll pretty much go nowhere. I don't think the stock markets will crash. I don't think the system will crash. I think the stock markets will be kind of unched, plus or minus. And I think we will be sitting with negative rates across the board in practically everything, at least in the sovereign debt markets, maybe not the corporates and, and other markets. Um, that's actually not a very pretty scenario. That's actually a pretty hard and bad scenario for an awful lot of people. A lot of people are highly dependent on getting return from equities. Uh, pensioners have suffered greatly in the last decade on declining rates. A negative rate environment will be very, very painful for retirees, for pensions, for a very large swath of the population. Um, it is a slow, painful grinding into the dust and your expenses gradually eat away at you. Think about that chocolate cake sitting in the refrigerator and taking a small slice of it and another small slice and another small slice and another small slice. And, after a while, there's no more cake. And that's what happens. Expenses eat away at capital that's not getting returns. And I think you're going to see a, re a returnless decade in equities. I think you're going to see worse than that in fixed income instruments across the board, across uh, lots of places where you're going to see negative rates. I think negative rates will be very, very, very painful. I expect to see more attacks on cash. I expect to see more attacks on Bitcoin, I expect to see more attacks, broadly speaking, cryptocurrency. Uh, you've got guys who wrote, a guy named Ken Rogoff, who wrote a book called The Curse of Cash. He is an enemy of cash. I think he is an enemy of freedom. I'm very unhappy with books like this. I'm very unhappy with policies like this. The IMF put out a paper. I have it somewhere. Um, maybe you can link to it. I, I, I skimmed it. I don't even have the strength to read it. How they can enforce you know, dealing with negative rates. People are working on and making plans for negative rates. I will be shocked if you don't see negative rates across the board. I understand from what other people have said, there's currently $15 trillion in negative rates. I expect this number to grow. This is very, very painful. Ask people who are in their uh, late 60s and retired and on up what it's going to be like for them not getting returns. And these people are important to people's families because they usually are in a position to help out uh, younger generations, their kids and their, and their grandkids. And that means that there isn't going to be that little bit of extra helping hand that's there for them. That puts a lot of pressure on society. I think you'll see it express itself in social anger. I think you're starting to see that. I think you'll see it in more political anger. I don't think that is the correct source. I think you have a lot of distraction from that. I think the real source is having bad money. I think bad money is the core of many of these problems. And I think Bitcoin will grow in size. 
I think there are threats from regulation, but I think as Bitcoin grows in size, those threats will not be so significant. And I think, and I expect to see Bitcoin in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, timing I don't know. And ultimately I would not be surprised to see Bitcoin anywhere from one to $3 million 10 years out. Bitcoin is going to grow very, very, very large in size and it doesn't stop there. And I think you wanna own Bitcoin, you wanna, get a, you wanna have a position. I think people will be hard to convince because people only understand price. Price is 99.5, 99.9% of adoption. Once we get over 20,000 and start moving higher, many people who were skeptical will become very, very, very interested. Um, I don't know when we go over 20,000. I don't know how this scenario plays out. You know, we're in you know, we're in some rough waters, but I expect to see rough waters. But I, as I said, I'll be very surprised to not see the Fed respond. I think I had read somewhere that a guy named John Hussman commented that we're at peak margins uh, in this economy. I expect to see margin contraction going on for several years to come. Margin contraction is a problem because that will affect PEs. So net net between actions taken by governments, taken by central banks, you'll see that working to pump the value of equities. And I think the natural forces that exist will be working on pressing those things down, which includes the large debt loads, includes margin contraction. The net effect of that is my view that you're gonna see a flattish market plus or minus for years to come. And that's not a pretty picture. Actually having markets crash and work your way back is in many ways much better and much healthier. I don't think we'll be that lucky. You can actually trade for that. And all these guys who love to trade, I think they're gonna find themselves in a position where trading gets to be very, very difficult somewhere in those out years uh, for, uh, for equities. And I think we're going to see flows into Bitcoin that you can't imagine because people will look for yield. And Bitcoin has the benefit of being an exponential technology. So you're going to see more and more people get involved in using Bitcoin as well as it being a fixed supply with a known issuance and so I think you're going to see prices go to levels that you can't imagine. Bitcoin will become the favorite asset. It will go from being mocked on CNBC to being the thing that they love to talk about every day and say, did you buy your Bitcoin today? And they will. Well, CNBC already loves Bitcoin now. We got Joe, we got Joe in, the, in the hot seat. Uh, do you guys think there's going to be like, are we going to see more rounds of QE before any kind of collapse? I don't think you're going to see more I think the Fed can help. They can, they, they can help it, right? They will, in some sort of way, they will, they will signal that they're going to do some intervention. I don't know if it's going to be QE or whatever it is, but that's their motors operating. That's what they've always done, right? So why would they change it right now? You know, they should be unwinding their balance sheet, but that's what we don't know how they can do it. There are no buyers out there to pretty much anything, right? And they're going to be even less when the market's getting distressed. But I mean, last time the QE happened after the crash, right? Could they, they could presumably here preempt it, right? Do the QE to try and stave off a crash. It's what I sure, expect. But, you know, yeah, but the, the marginal effect of, you know, doing another QE, QE it's, you know, lower every time that they do it. Uh, um, the balance sheet is already so inflated. The first time was easy to do because, you know, they're, assets out there and they have huge balance sheet to, to buy things. I don't know they have enough power right now as people believe. They have, they have, they have, they have, have alpha data, alpha data, they can do anything. They have plenty of power. They're going to buy stocks. 
The Swiss National Bank is already buying stocks. The, the are gonna see Japanese that? are buying stocks. They Japanif- don't do anything. There are no the rules. There are no rules. Just remember, there are no rules. Rules don't matter anymore. They make it up as they go. There are no rules. They can do anything, and they will do anything. They're not going to let riots happen in Washington, D.C., in New York. They're not going to have people rioting in the street. They're not going to let things fall apart. And I didn't say it's going to be pretty. It's going to be painful. You're not going to like the answer that you get. And the answer that you get is going to be pain through negative rates. It's going to be pain through flat stock markets. But um, but you're not going to – I don't think you're going to see – I think the pain – they like to draw out and extend it. You know, it's this it's this awful situation sitting in the backseat asking, are we there yet? No, you got to wait and hold it in before you go to the bathroom. It's going to be – it's going to be a long, drawn-out thing. And uh, I see that as actually really bad. I think it affects, uh, I think it affects your generation. I, I, I think it affects the kids who are graduating college now. I, I, think, I, I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's a bad thing. But um, it is. I mean, it just it is. And I think there are huge opportunities. You want to learn to... You want to learn to program. You want to get involved in the Bitcoin ecosystem. You want to own Bitcoin. You can earn your money in Bitcoin. I, I think there's some terrific opportunities for people. I, I, I think it's wide open. I think you're watching an emerging economy happen, and it's going to be huge, and it's going to be, and it's going to take the place of this thing that exists now. And I think the opportunities are enormous. You just have to open your eyes to it. Yeah, it's still very early innings in all of this, and that's why we're here, trying to educate people about the state of the world, the state of Bitcoin. Um, before I thank you guys, Matt, do you have any more questions before we leave? No, I'm satiated. This was a great conversation. No, that's what I want to say. Thank you, Tina and Alpha Zeta, for coming on and speaking with us. The um, vernacular around the traditional financial system, whether it be uh, yield curves, uh, inverted yield curves, and everything we just discussed is is uh, something that a lot of people reach out to me and want further depth on. And I think we did a very good job of di- taking a deep dive into the current situation, what it all means, and, and how Bitcoin plays out. So thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Marty. All right. Peace and love, freaks. Not yet. Thank you, guys. Not- hey, Matt. <laughs> We're not up yet, but hey, how's it going? Recording over. We have the official.